Alright, welcome to another episode of Catholic Mindset, where we create Catholic content for Catholics. Today we have George Weigel, a distinguished senior fellow and William E. Simon Chair of Catholic Studies at the Ethics and Public Policy Center. He's, he's a renowned Catholic author, most famous for his biography of Pope St. John Paul II, Witness to Hope, and its sequel, The End and the Beginning. Today we're talking about the status of the Catholic Church and his book, The Next Pope, The Office of Peter, and The Church in Mission. George, how are you doing today? Fine, Alejandro. Good to be with you again. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. So, would you mind leading us in prayer? No, that's, that's a good idea. Let's pray the prayer that's always acceptable, the prayer the Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy be name. Thy name. Thy kingdom, thy kingdom come, come thy will be, done, be done, on earth as it is, as in, it heaven. is in heaven. Give, Give us, us this day our daily bread, bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we as forgive we those, those who trespass against us. And lead, and lead us not, us not into, temptation, into temptation, but deliver us, deliver from, us evil. from evil. Amen. Amen. All right. So, what is the status of the Catholic Church? How, how do you see the Church today? Well, it's not easy to talk about the status of the Catholic Church because you're talking about 1.3 billion people in a huge variety of social, political, and cultural circumstances. The Church is growing tremendously in sub-Saharan Africa. The Church is struggling often struggling badly in Western Europe. Uh, the church is doing all right, I think, in, in the United States. I think there's a genuine effort here to implement the Second Vatican Council in, a, in an authentic way. Uh, church remains, after 2,000 years, rather invisible in, in most parts of Asia. So it's a complicated, it's a complicated picture. But the, the question at any moment in Catholic history is the question the Lord himself posed 2,000 years ago. When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on earth? And the answer to that today would be yes, but not enough. And that's been the case throughout 2,000 years of history. And, and this book, what inspired the writing of this book? Well, the next pope is is really not a campaign book or a political book. It's a sketch of what are the issues facing the Catholic Church throughout the world uh, in the middle decades of the 21st century. Uh, it's clear that we're going to have a papal transition uh, fairly soon. Uh, this is a good time to reflect upon the needs of the church throughout the world. Uh, I have had the privilege of knowing and talking intensely, speaking intensely with uh, the last three popes, John Paul II, Benedict XVI, and, and, and Pope Francis. So I thought it might be useful for everybody if I pulled together what I had learned over the past 30 years and suggested here, here are the issues uh, for the Church of the future. Uh, viewed through the prism of this unique office, uh, the office of Peter, uh, which really is distinctive to the Catholic Church. No other Christian community, uh, no other religious community uh, in the world has an office quite like uh, the papacy. Uh, 
So uh, I explore the church's relationship to a secularizing Western world, to a religiously intense but uh, very diverse uh, developing world, episcopate in the church, the role of bishops in the church, role of priests and consecrated religious in the church, role of lay people in the church, the church's role in the public space, the church is a public witness. All of this is uh, explored uh, briefly and I hope uh, succinctly and, and interestingly in, in this little book. Uh, I thought it was a good time to write it, as they say, because we do have uh, the likelihood of a, of a transition in Catholic history uh, coming up. The first, the next pope will be the first truly post-Vatican II pope. John Paul II and Benedict XVI were major figures at the Second Vatican Council. Pope Francis was a young Jesuit superior in the years immediately following the council. Uh, the next pope will not have been of that generation. Uh, the next pope will have lived his adult Catholic life uh, in the years after the Second Vatican Council. And that's going to be something different, too. So all of these are the reasons why I thought this book would be a useful exercise to write. So what are some of the things you think that the next pope should focus on in his office? Well, the next pope, I think, has got to realize, uh, first of all, the nature of the office itself. Uh, the office of Peter is a reference point and, and should be a point of stability for the world church. Uh, it's not the business of the pope to start arguments. It's the business of the pope going back to the 15th chapter of the Acts of the Apostles and Peter and that proto-council in Jerusalem uh, to be the reference point around which arguments are settled. So uh, the next pope should be a man of vibrant but solid Christian orthodoxy, capable of making uh, Jesus Christ, who is the church's proclamation, uh, visible and attractive uh, throughout the world. Um, secondly, uh, the pope is responsible for the public witness of the church. Uh, the church does not have to have an opinion on every contested issue of public policy, but it does have to speak when uh, grave issues of, of uh, human dignity, of uh, religious freedom, of um, the requisites for a humane, just world order are at issue. And I suggest in this book that uh, a little less commentary on everything from the Vatican and a bit more concentration on these key questions uh, would, be, uh, would be helpful. Um, the next pope, like his three predecessors, must realize that what John Paul II called the new evangelization, a church, as Pope Francis put it, permanently in mission, mm. not a church simply maintaining an institution, but a church in which uh, those institutional forms, parishes, convents, rectories, schools, universities, dioceses, healthcare centers, hospitals, whatever, are platforms for mission, are platforms for bringing 
bringing people to Christ, to, to meet the incarnate Son of God. Uh, the next pope has to energize the church uh, for mission. So some of those are some of the large themes I develop in this book. Talking about constant, constantly in mission, I think I'm sure you've heard that here in the U.S. we're doing the Eucharistic revival, a three-year initiative to get people to, I guess, fall in love again with the Eucharist and believe in the real presence. I think that's coming out from the U.S. bishops. Yeah, it's absolutely essential because, as John Paul II uh, wrote in his last encyclical, Ecclesia de Eucharistia, the church from the Eucharist, the church lives from its uh, worship of God in, in, in the Holy Eucharist. That, that is the center, as Vatican Second Vatican Council put it, the source and summit uh, of the church's life. At Mass, at the Eucharist, the church is most truly itself. And uh, there's been a loss of awareness of that, I think, that's been growing over some time uh, among Catholics in the United States. But this uh, mass attendance took a huge hit because of COVID. And um, what some will likely say was something of an overreaction to this pandemic, although in the first months of it, it was not at all easy to figure out what was going on. But there has been a slowness in, in people returning to the practice of, of Sunday Mass. And that has to be reversed. We need to hit the accelerator on that. And I think the easiest way to do it is, is to invite people back. I mean, everyone who is coming to Mass on Sunday, now again, post-plague, uh, ought to be inviting someone else to come to come with them. Uh, I've suggested to various lay apostolates that they work with local parishes to go door to door in those parishes and invite people back to Mass. Invite people back to Mass. Uh, and I hope this uh, Eucharistic revival uh, will help uh, advance that cause because that is the bottom line. Hmm. Uh, the bottom line is whether there are people in our churches exercising their priestly ministry. Second Vatican Council clearly teaches that the people of the church offer the Eucharistic Christ to the Father with the priest at Mass. If our people understood that, if they understood that they were exercising what was given to them in baptism, a priestly role, not the, not the role of the ordained priest, but a priestly role nonetheless, uh, the capacity to offer God the worship that God is due, then I think people would be coming back to church. I mean, why wouldn't you want to do that if that's what you could do uh, once a week or in, indeed once a day? That's true. That's true. Going back to the, to the office of, of, the, of the new pope, what about youth? I know that John Paul II traveled a lot. I think that's one thing that pointed him out, uh, that he traveled a lot. And then he also engaged the youth a lot. What about the youth and travel for the next pope? Well, as a general rule, I think the next pope should travel less. Uh, capacity of the pope to uh, ignite faith, I think, is diminished if seeing the pope just becomes a normal thing. 
moreover, the next pope has a lot to do in fixing various messes in Rome right now, bureaucratic messes, financial messes, and other messes. I do think the pope's presence at World Youth Day, uh, this triennial um, festival, of Catholic faith that was inaugurated by John Paul II is very important, although I'm not clear that the Pope has to be there in person. I mean, jumbotrons are wonderful things. If, uh, if the Pope is an elderly person who can't be at a World Youth Day in person, he can be there in other, in other ways. But preferably, he's, he's there in person. Uh, I, I do think that the, you know, the 10, 12, 15 papal trips a year model is um, probably something that, that requires re-examination. So a lot more of the, I guess, maybe social media, or what other channels do you suggest that should be used to communicate with? Uh, well, as someone who has nothing to do with social media and never will, I'm the wrong person to ask about that. I, I think... You know, people like my friend Bishop Robert Barron of Word on Fire Catholic Ministries, uh, you know, masterfully uses social media. I, you know, I don't know about, you know, is the Pope tweeting a good idea? I mean, I, yeah. I, I remember when Pope Benedict was talked into doing this, and I said to a friend working in the Vatican, what are you people thinking? This is the most learned man in the world, and you're reducing him to 140 characters. What's that all about? And then the friend told me some months later that the people who really loved the Pope's tweets <laughs> were Latin teachers uh, because they would put these tweets out in English, French, German, Spanish, Portuguese, Italian, whatever. But they'd also put them out in Latin, and Latin teachers <laughs> around the world were using, were using papal tweets. Um, does that really help spread the gospel? I don't know. I hope it teaches people Latin, at least. The single biggest lesson, I think, of the past 20 years or so, maybe 50 years or so, uh, in terms of, you said, the state of the church around the world, is that those parts of world Catholicism that have embraced Catholicism in full. I mean, what I call all-in Catholicism. People who aren't picking and choosing this, that, or the other thing. Uh, those parts of the world church are living, they're vibrant, uh, and they are acting as missionary disciples. Where the church is dying is where Catholics, particularly intellectuals and unfortunately some clergy, are trying to make this failed project that I have called for 22 years now, Catholic Light, um, a dumbed-down uh, Catholicism that is unsure mm. of its doctrinal and moral boundaries, uh, work. And it just doesn't work. There's no place in the world where the Catholic Light project has been uh, instantiated, has been... Uh, affected, that is a, a living part of the world church. This is particularly true in the parts of the German-speaking world in Europe right now, where Catholic light has been the order of the day for decades, and you have 2% mass attendance. 
on Sundays. I mean, how much more evidence do you need that this just is not the way forward? So uh, learning how to present the faith in full, learning how to explicate the creed in a way that makes sense to people today and that excites people today uh, is, is the Catholic task for the future. And when you do that, there's a response because I, I think, Alejandro, people are suffering from a world of uh, radical individualism, lack of a sense of solidarity, uh, a dumbed-down notion of freedom as simply license or willfulness, I did it my way. This is all oppressive after a while. And uh, a church that says to people, look at Jesus Christ and learn how great you can be by letting his grace enter your life, Look at Jesus Christ and know that he reveals not only the truth about God, but the truth about us as human beings and what our noble destiny is. A church that can do that is going to get some attention and is going to attract people who are tired of the rather chilly and claustrophobic atmosphere uh, that we find in, in much of the Western world today. Can you expand on noble destiny? Noble destiny is living with God forever. I mean, the job of the church is to help people become saints. What are saints? Saints are, as C.S. Lewis wrote, mid-20th century, saints are people who can live comfortably with God forever. If, if you or I were snatched up to the throne of grace right now. We might feel a little uncomfortable. We're not quite sure how to fit in here. Uh, that's the work of a lifetime, and it's, it's work in the sense of conforming your life to the grace that God makes available in your life. But that's the, that's the whole purpose of the church, is to prepare people for an eternity of love and joy in the presence of God. That's what the church is for. What are some tips you would recommend to people so they can live a life of grace and sainthood? Find a good parish, become part of it, find a Catholic renewal movement in your area, become part of it, become part of a community. Catholicism is a communal reality. Uh, there's, no, there's no such thing as just me and Jesus Catholicism. To, to be incorporated into Christ is to be incorporated into the body of Christ, which is the church. And we all need the support and solidarity of others in order to live the faith uh, in this kind uh, of a culture. So get connected would be my first uh, suggestion. It, when you mean by me and Jesus are individuals that believe that it's just a conversation within themselves right. and God is like, and, right. and that's it. And no, I mean, to be incorporated into Christ is to be incorporated into the church. Mm. Obviously, a personal relationship with the Lord is the beginning, but that's not the end. Uh, that, init that brings you into um, uh, the communion of the church, and that's very important for living the life of faith. In a good church or a good parish, what are some of the aspects that makes a good parish? 
I would, I would begin with uh, good liturgy, prayerfully celebrated, good music, not a lot of, you know, uh, junky pop music, but mm. I mean serious music, uh, good preaching. Uh, great Catholic parishes often have great schools attached to them. That's, a, that's an important part of, uh, of the Catholic, uh, of Catholic parish life. Uh, great parishes have, uh, take service to society seriously, uh, witnessing to the dignity of human life, helping people in need. Um, great parishes foster friendships among the people of the parish. So those are some obvious attributes, it seems to me. Got it. You mentioned that the office of the pope is not necessarily getting involved in every aspect of public policy, but you meant to, but you mentioned to settle arguments. And from the little, I mean, history I know is the church has been involved in some of the major issues to kind of like bring peace and uh, and human rights. Can you mention a couple of things that the church should get involved in? Certainly the defense of religious freedom for all is a primary Catholic value in in public life, and that means defending the religious freedom of uh, everybody, not just religious freedom for us. The defense of innocent human life at all stages of life uh, is a major public policy issue for the church. In cases where there is a great aggression going on, as there is in Ukraine right now, I think it's important for the church to identify the aggressor uh, and say this is wickedness. Uh, that is not inappropriate. That is an important witness to uh, the truth of what a rightly ordered world community uh, looks like. The church ought to be in conversation with whatever parts of the Islamic world are trying to develop an Islamic case for religious toleration. I mean, there's some terrible things going on around the world because forms of Islam cannot tolerate the presence of other religious convictions in their neighborhood. We, we need to help the better parts of the Islamic world uh, do what we did over 200 years, and that's develop a Catholic understanding of, of uh, religious liberty. So those, those are some of the big ones, I think. Got it. And I see you have the Ukraine flag right there. What, what, are, what, are, what is the church doing and what is not doing regarding the Ukraine? What it should be doing? I think the Vatican commentary on Ukraine has been, has, at least for the first three months of the war, was very weak. And unfortunately, the Pope has said some unfortunate things, uh, suggesting that NATO provoked the Russian invasion, which is frankly nonsense. And even worse, it's Russian propaganda. So a bit more care in identifying exactly what's going on uh, would be uh, would be helpful. Okay, you. I want to mention something you mentioned at the beginning that the church is growing in Africa, right? The church is growing tremendously in Africa. Sub-Saharan Africa is the greatest growth area of the Catholic Church uh, in the world. And by the middle of this century, there are going to be probably something like 400 million Catholics in sub-Saharan Africa. 
that's because the gospel comes to that part of the world as something fresh and new and liberating. And there are lessons to be learned from that for the rest of the world church. And um, can I ask you how China is involved in there too? I, I know that they're investing a lot and obviously their religious freedom and oppression of Catholicism is is very, very obvious. I don't know how that is integrating with the current Catholic African growth. Well, to go, to go back to the next pope, I suggest in that book that uh, the current Vatican policy on China needs to be thoroughly reexamined. Uh, um, there's no making deals with a government like that of communist China today. Uh, the notion that, that uh, achieving some sort of diplomatic uh, relationship between the Vatican and, and Beijing will open up China to the proclamation of the faith is just foolish. It's not. Uh, Xi Jinping has made very clear that all religions in China uh, under his regime will be, as they put it, Sinicized. They will be Chineseified. And what they mean by that is Chinese Communist Partyified. So um, this is not a good situation, and it badly needs reexamination in the next pontificate. So I know you wrote a lot about that, what was happening with, with the Catholic Church in China, that we ended up, from what I recall, correct me if I'm wrong, that we gave up practically our, our control of the Catholic faith in China, but it's like a fake Catholic Church with fake bishops. There have been two forms of Catholicism in China for decades now. Uh, an underground church that um, has maintained... Uh, at great cost, its independence that has maintained its loyalty to the universal church. And there has been a regime-approved Catholicism called the Patriotic Catholic Association. The border between those two is not hard and fast. People move back and forth across that border, uh, which is really kind of like a membrane, I guess, uh, depending on their local situation. But a Catholicism in which the Chinese Communist Party is essentially choosing bishops is not the Catholic Church. I mean, that just can't work. So um, that's the crucial issue going forward. And uh, I think a far more, frankly, robust uh, Vatican commentary on the problems of religious freedom in China, not just for Catholics, but for these brutally persecuted uh, Turkish Muslims up in the northwest, the Uyghurs, uh, would, would lay down a marker that needs to be laid down. Okay. Well, I appreciate your time. I know that. I know that we're running out of time. So, uh, George, thank you so much for jumping on the show and, and telling us about your new book and the status of the Catholic Church. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Alejandro, and thank you for all that you're doing. <laughs>